Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. This is actually the first podcast of the 2021-22 season. Uh, I am really psyched to be joined by two people who were not traded uh, in the middle of their the first preseason game, uh, Tom Lewis and Caitlin Cooper. Uh, Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm surprised I wasn't traded. I mean, I easily could have been. I didn't see the Edmund Sumner coming, so it could have been me. Well, we had to have you back around. I get traded to, yeah. to Nets daily to start covering the Nets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, but then you get waved halfway there. Uh no, too 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 soon. Uh, yeah, no, we needed to keep you around for the post game echo chambers. Uh, Tom, how are you doing today? Our guest tonight. Yeah, I should say it is late tonight. Yeah, it's almost tomorrow morning. Whatever. Um, not one of those nights, at least. But uh, yeah. doing well. It was uh, quite an interesting evening from what we saw on the court, and then uh, what we got. Uh, Woj bombs flying in the middle of the game, which is kind of strange. So, uh, very interesting to say the least, for the first preseason game. Yeah, um, 100%. I think that's where we can dive in right away. Uh, obviously, Edmund Sumner, was, along with the second-round pick, I believe 2025 second-round pick, was traded to the Brooklyn Nets, and he was waived by the Nets. That was announced during the second quarter of the game. Um, that was definitely – I mean, it took me me by surprise. Uh, I think it took pretty much everybody by surprise. It was very out of nowhere. Obviously, Edmund Sumner is out for the year with an Achilles injury, uh, was not going to be around. The Pacers had already applied for the uh, injured player exception. Um, And this creates a new uh, player, not player, Jesus, trade exception, I think $2.3 million trade exception. Um, I don't really care about the trade exception. I'd like to talk about Ed because, number one, like first and foremost, just on a human level, I really, this sucks to see. I understand that. the NBA and basketball in general is a business, but I also, I just don't love the way that this went down uh, from, from any angle, frankly, I, I get what the team is doing and um, you know, but I also just think it's kind of really rough, especially, you know, a lot of people probably look at this to say, well, he's a, he's a millionaire, blah, blah, blah. And sort of like, he just got like his first really great guaranteed deal. He was a second round pick. He hasn't exactly been, you know, just cashing checks blankly, um, and it really puts him in limbo for what his career might be like moving forward. I don't mean to be all dreary right off the bat, but I just I think it, it just never sits well with me when we see stuff like this happen. And I, I really hope the best for Ed moving forward. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Caitlin. Where were you at with this and when the when the notification hit and kind of your processing of it, too? Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer. I was definitely wasn't expecting it mid game, but uh as you say, they had already applied for the disabled player exception, which was indicating that they clearly didn't think he was going to be coming back to play this year. So I kind of understand that you want an able body in that spot. And it also leads me to believe that they aren't necessarily thrilled with what they're seeing as a third string point guard option, given that it was also reported in conjunction with this, that Brad Wanamaker is going to be joining them on a training camp deal. So maybe they weren't, you know, seeing what they needed to from Kiefer or maybe, you know, the two way guys, I don't know, but 
you know, at the back end of last season, Edmund Sumner was kind of one of the few things that kept me engaged with the team and, and getting to see some of the strides he had made, not only with his shot and some of his mechanics with his shot, but also just the way that he was finding his spots on the floor and what he already provides defensively. So I kind of feel like there was a more solidified vision for what, you know, if he could get healthy and recover from that injury, what he could have provided the Pacers if he had returned, but, you know, he was going to be a free agent versus then we see tonight that, you know, the only other option for them to open a roster spot cleanly to get a third string point guard, if they still think that is a need is if they would have waived Keelan Martin before the start of the regular season. And then, you know, the Pacers kind of have not a great preseason opener in terms of the score, they're down 25 and then Keelan didn't even play until the third quarter. So you know, I get wanting to have the able body, but on that front, I think I probably believe a little bit more in what Edmund Sumner had shown. But if you didn't think you're going to be able to retain him and, and you wanted the third string point guard option, it makes sense. It's just, it just kind of sucks all the way around. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Tom, where are you at with this? Yeah. I mean, it definitely is just a straight up business move, um, considering Sumner's not going to play and, and they can free up that. You know, they're also gaining a little bit of uh, wiggle room salary cap wise with that. Um, and then, you know, some of the future isn't over, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll get his money and, and um, hopefully um, all goes well with the rehab and, he, and he's back and he, um, you know, still has several years of, of a pro career. And, and at this point, you know, it could be anywhere. Um, but, uh, you know, for this year, Caleb says the able body, and that's true. It's like, you know, he, he wasn't going to play, and that was a spot that they made me. Um, so that that was the decision they had to make. And um, I know it was so much fun, like Caleb <laughs> also mentioned last year, seeing that game of, uh, of Summers progress and, and, and still know that there's a lot left there to develop. Um, but you know, he has some things that no, not many in the league have with his speed, athleticism. And, you know, when he started making threes last year, it was like, Whoa, this guy is, is, could be a, a unique player to have, uh, in your rotation and, uh, not to mention extremely exciting to watch as a fan. So, um, you know, having him go down again with injury which has been, you know, his bugaboo throughout his career from college, which allowed the Pacers to draft him in the second round because of, because of uh, his injuries in college. And then, you know, he just has never been able to be fully healthy. So um, hopefully the prognosis is, is good when he gets finally healthy and, and can resume his career. But it is, you know, it just kind of highlights the bummer that um, his career has been with the Pacers because, um, you know, there's been occasional flashes and then last year, some big flashes. Uh, we never got to experience a full summer experience though. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's a great place to cut off right there. I'm, I'm just hopeful again that he comes back and, um, really tough to see him go like this. Uh, let's move in and talk about the, the, the game that we just witnessed. Cause we have a lot to dive into there and we'll hit some stuff on the back end as well. Obviously the Pacers dropped this one to the Knicks, uh, not exactly a close game by any stretch, especially, you know, the, the Knicks opened up uh, a run early in the, in the second half, 
that put things away. Um, we're not really worried about the final score. This is preseason, but we do have a lot that we can take from this. Um, I'll start with you, Tom. What was one of your your you know prime takeaways? What was something you were looking for right away that that stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, I guess you know the Pacers kind of played the first half as if it was kind of a regular game, um, and then they didn't play the starters much or much uh, actually any after that. So. Um, but what stuck out to me, I guess, was while I appreciated Miles Turner's uh, assertiveness offensively, um, having some bonus in the corner, and it the clunkiness remained for me. <laughs> and there's another way to look at it with those two out there at the same time. And I know, obviously, you got Holiday and Lamb, and it's a it's not firing on all cylinders, and maybe that will change with Levert and Warren out there. But um, I guess that didn't give me much hope until those guys returned that, that um, unless they're all hitting threes, it seemed like everybody had to, uh, you know, it's like anting into the pot in a poker match. Everyone had to come out and miss a three <laughs> before they could get going, uh, other than Justin Holiday, who came out firing ready to play as he usually does. But um, I guess that was, you know, the frustration with the starting unit. I mean, they, they rallied in the second quarter and, and looked pretty good. Um, but I just can't get past the uh, the continued clunkiness, even though it was packaged a bit differently. Um, it, I still, my confidence level in it, it uh, being being the uh, go-forward plan is, is not high. Yeah, yeah, just to, can I piggyback off of that? Definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is exactly pretty much where I was at. I mean, the one thing that stood out is I I think that while it didn't show defensively tonight, I think that they've definitely been focusing more on defense than offense because it did not seem like they had that much offense implemented. They were basically yeah. running most of the same stuff they had ran at Summer League, a lot of you know the high post with the down screen with the guy – snapping out to the perimeter and then giving it to the elbow or they were running like their same Spain actions or their same like guard to guard stuff or just their basic five out with Sabonis up top. And when, you know, you're going to have to use Sabonis up top more. He's still got a lot of touches. They're going to have to do some of that if they want to play five out, not only because, you know, that makes sense for where he should be in that scenario, but because of what Tom said, like they're having Jeremy and Justin out there. Neither one of them are really ball handlers. They're going to make plays for other people. So you kind of have to be running those DHOs with either leading them with a ball screen into the DHO or running the DHO and, and running them through the ball screen afterwards in order for them to get to the basket. So Sabonis was getting touches and he was up top, but like none of it was scoring touches for him. Like he, he attempted five shots. Like that's just not going to cut it. And I'm kind of with Tom. I don't really know. I'm trying to understand, but I don't really know that I understand the purpose of having him standing in the corner. Like you're not reshaping the defense in that sort of way. I mean, the three centers as a whole, I believe by the time the game was over, Goga had made one three. So they were one of eight. Like in some respects, it was clunkier than what we had seen under Nate Bjorkman, yeah. which again, I'm trying to 
I'm trying to temper this because I don't want to have an overreaction to a preseason game. And I don't <laughs> think that they have that many sets implemented, but the way that the two of them were working off of each other, I mean, like, yeah, miles put the ball on the floor out of a closeout once and a couple other times. And the Knicks just like, I don't exactly know what they were doing, but even that was like, sometimes he was like super graceful. And then two other times he got like a charge and lost the ball where the spacing wasn't quite right. So I think they're trying to focus on where their marks are and five out, but the way that that was shaking out looks very uh, awkward to this point. Only one game in, which again, it is only one game in, but um, a little bit hard to understand that particular aspect of it. Yeah, um, it was it was odd to kind of pick apart, and it was kind of interesting because, like uh, you know, Caitlin and I talked about this with with Miles you know, being pretty vocal about wanting to get more touches and thinking that was something that would happen this year. And, and that kind of bore through, like you mentioned, I mean, a lot of Sabonis kind of being in the dunker spot or out in the corner was because miles was being more involved in, in DHOs and, and running things up top, being involved in pick and rolls and to his credit. Like I thought he set some really nice screens, which sounds like a little bit reductive, but like, honestly, like he's, he's never been an awesome screen setter. So seeing him set stuff like that was cool. Um, and he did have some nice moments, but I agree. Like the, the clunkiness was, was, was whack. Um, and so, I mean, in fairness, like a lot of it feels like it's just vanilla, but also, I, I don't know, you, you kind of expect to see a little bit better, um, after training camp or you hope at least. And again, with the caveat, like, yes, you're missing Karis Levert and TJ Warren, but we knew that coming in. So, um, what did you got? Did you guys enjoy the uh, Tory Craig running pick and rolls experience? Oh yeah, that that unit was a little bit uh, interesting. That was it, like too. the mystery meat uh, ball. Yeah, because at the end of the yeah. quarter, at the end of the quarter, they I mean Duarte was the first person off the bench, and then they had McConnell, Duarte, Craig at the three, and Isaiah Jackson at the four with Sabonis, and then they shifted Isaiah to the five, and then he started doing like most of the Sabonis stuff like trying to run some of the same DHOs. I mean, quite frankly, when anybody else does that, it kind of shows up as like, oh, Sabonis isn't doing that now. Like it just gets, it just grinds a little bit. But uh, I found it interesting that like they talked about they were going to stagger the two bigs, but I don't remember. Did Miles play any minutes with the bench? Uh, I don't remember seeing that. I don't. I don't think so. I think there was Brogdon and Lamb the whole time and and all day. yeah. That, those four all played together. I mean, and it was same. like even they showed Two some. Basically. It didn't yeah. seem like they wanted much to be shown outside of practice, like in <laughs> comparison to years past where they've put out like practice footage packages, especially last year with, you know, everything being on Zoom and quarantine, they put out some practice footage. But the one thing that they did show that Scott shared was like the big setting flare screens for each other, like corner flares for five out where they would be occupying defenders. And I did not see that one time. So that's what just continues to lead me to believe that they still have like I know from watching even summer league that they have other stuff implemented in ways that they can get miles and Sabonis moving. But uh, it wasn't it wasn't there in this particular game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah most that's definitely. for sure. And, and you know, with uh, um, the uh, my my friend uh, T.J. McConnell and his uh, glowing reports that talking about how great the um, starters have been in practice. I assume they've been doing something other than what we saw tonight. Um, you know, even if there's a little hyperbole with his praise, but uh, um, 
there's no doubt that you know we're here to overreact, and um, but but there certainly had to be um, more ammo uh, that that uh, they're keeping dry here heading into the you know the preseason, and, and this is just getting out and playing. But the the you know that clunkiness part, the the you know the way they play together, that type of a thing, regardless of what you're running. Um, just seemed a little rough, even with that starting unit tonight. It's, it's a little more reasonable with with the um, variety of new faces on the reserve. Really young guy in there with Jackson. Um, that that's kind of a little more reasonable to expect. But um, with with those five guys and that starting unit, um, they, they just didn't seem quite in sync um, as well. So. I, you know, and I do feel like they play a little bit better later, but um, but still, the 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 whole Sabonis um, adjustment is is not working for me. Yeah, um, I mean, a transition from that a little bit because I, I I'm in complete agreement. Uh, where are we at with the defense? Because I, I was uh, things were obviously different, which it was nice to th- not see. You know, Domas getting pressed out on the perimeter, but. Um, Caitlin, I'll start with you. Where were you at with with how things looked defensively tonight? Well, and this is the problem with, you know, how the offense looked tonight because they said that they were focusing on the defense and the defense was like the transition defense was non-existent at times, which isn't necessarily atypical for a preseason game. But Mm. um, there was some block hunting going on in the paint, just allowing wide open drives. I'm not entirely sure what the coverages were supposed to be at times. The second half, they were mixing in a lot of two, three. And it didn't really seem like, you know, that was settled, which again, you know, they've only had a week of training camp, but yeah, my main takeaway was it seemed like they were kind of letting players do reads, whether they were going to be switching or not. And then that was leading to a lot of miscommunications. They were coming off the corner, but not necessarily in the way that I wrote that preseason piece where they were playing above the checks. They were just flat out leaving that right corner open in the first quarter numerous times which was a little bit strange. Like I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Like it was, it's a more conservative scheme, like you said, than what Bjorkren was doing, but I'm going to have to watch the game back to fully comprehend what some of the goals were, which again is a little bit slightly disconcerting given that they kept saying at media day that like our top two things that we're focusing on are togetherness and defense. <laughs> so um I'm definitely hoping the togetherness to, is there. Yeah, the I, defense I mean, was not. Yeah. Um, definitely going to have to put in a little bit more elbow grease on, on that end of the floor, I think. There are several notes I had with, got to watch that again. Got, you know, these certain plays or, or situations that happen because, uh, uh, especially on the offensive end, it just seemed like um, trying to figure out exactly what, what they're trying to accomplish there. But, yeah, I know uh, after game, Carly, I mentioned their, you know, def- defenses obviously need to be more of a focus and, and you know, more of a uh, an attitude with it, you know, a little, little uh, you know, to me, so I'm paraphrasing or at least adding my my own definition of be a little tougher at that end. Um, and that definitely would, would help and uh, as they get that togetherness part. But um, 
it was, uh, you know, it, so hard in the in the preseason games, and and there were a lot of runouts, especially at reserve unit. But it's like get back in transition. So many runouts off all the missed threes, and there were a lot of missed threes. So um, that that didn't help at all. Help uh, either when they were trying to get your defense set in the half court when uh, those long threes get them running, get things in a scramble situation. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you, you make oh, a good go point. I mean, your shot selection is your first line of transition defense. What types of shots you're taking yeah. is, is what's going to put you in position to be able to guard that. It was like Duarte, he certainly came out firing. Like he did not, not see a he did not, not see a shot he didn't like. Like in the first four <laughs> minutes, he was one of five. Like I, I I think he ended up, I mean, and he played way more minutes because obviously the starters didn't play in the second half, but didn't he finish with the most shot attempts? I think. Like, yeah, he, he finished he, with he eleven, just, which was most on the team. Yeah, he came out certainly wasn't afraid to be putting the ball up at all. But yeah. Sorry, Mark, go ahead and say No, that. no, you're totally good. Um, just as far as the defense, I, I, didn't, I don't have anything other than what you guys had to really add, uh, other than I made the mistake of tweeting out that Jeremy Lamb looked nice for the first couple possessions, like the first like three or four <laughs> minutes. I was like, hey, Jeremy like looks kind of mobile and he's not getting blown by, and then the you know, we won't talk about what happened the rest of the game. Yeah, uh, that didn't last long. Yeah, that didn't I was I was very excited for the first couple minutes. I was like, wow, this is great. And then no, uh, not so much, but um, you know, something that, that stood out to me uh, that obviously, you know, this is, this is smaller and something that we've hit on before, but uh, it rang true that O'Shea Brissett seems to be behind both Torrey Craig and Isaiah Jackson uh, in, in terms of where he sits in rotation. Uh, O'Shea ended up playing more minutes than Isaiah, but, it, you know, he wasn't in until uh, the end of the first, beginning of the second. I mean, beginning of the second, not end of the first. Um did you guys? Well, I mean, what did you guys make of that? Anything new off of that, or, or any thoughts off that? Because I, I, I thought you know we can take a lot from how all three guys played tonight, but overall, I still think it's uh, it it definitely resonates with me that uh, that that Isaiah and, and Tori are being placed ahead of O'Shea already. Yeah, I mean, they said some pretty glowing things about O'Shea out of practice this week, and it seemed mm-hmm. like they thought that he would be somewhat in the rotation. I'm still interested to know exactly how Isaiah will be used and if maybe the two rookies, not that they won't play, but maybe are getting more looks already in preseason because it is preseason. Cause like O'Shea had pretty decent minutes tonight. I mean, he hit open yeah. shots and, and I mean, he got worked over pretty, pretty well by Taj in the post. So it doesn't seem like that's necessarily made a big jump from where he was at the end of last season. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it, because, I mean, I ideally see Torrey Craig as a four, really, too. But he was yeah. playing the three. And because we don't know how this is going to shake out when TJ Warren and, and Karras are both healthy, of where people are really going to slot. And, you know, Goga has been completely supplanted, it seems. Because, like, what you're saying, like, Isaiah came and played the four with Sabonis. And then when Sabonis went out, he shifted down to the five with O'Shea coming in to play the four. So, um, I still think I think O'Shea is going to get a look just because of some of the stuff they said this week. But definitely something to monitor between him and Ijax. I, I felt like the surprising thing was Jackson getting in there so early, honestly, um, in that mix. Um, and then I really thought Brissett was going to be kind of in the Goga zone. Um, but then he came in as well. So um, I, I feel like that's, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I guess, make the final decisions on tonight because it seems like 
both guys are getting their opportunities to um, seize that uh, potential role. It, it is kind of a battle, though, because if you consider at some point Justin Holiday um, and Lamb returning to the reserve role, then there's not going to be as many options for those guys. But I think um, I think both of them are probably going to be battling for those, those uh, four minutes, obviously. But it's just a matter of how are they going to use Jackson, uh, particularly if they're staggering Sabonis as well. Um, that'll eat into those minutes as, as well. So I'm just interested in the whole Jackson thing because I feel like so young and raw and active and, and does have things that can help. But um, I don't know if <laughs> he's going to be ready for prime time. And if, if they expect that or if they're just giving him this run now uh, to see how, um, how how it goes. Well, yeah, and, and like you're both hinting at too, I mean, I was just kind of watching the, – the entire night I was watching, I was like, okay, when is Goga getting in? Um, yeah. And – I don't know. I, I'm not ready to like hit the red alert button or something right now. I actually really liked. Uh, he had, he was pretty uh, jittery his like first couple minutes out. Um, I mean, it was his first basketball he played since it's been a, been a, been quite a few months since he's been on court. Obviously, after missing summer league, um, but I thought his defense looked really solid. Um, he he was he really picked some things up possession wise. He had a nice uh, possession where. He switched on to Derrick Rose out of a pick and roll and, and I believe blocked the shot or tipped it um, and just had some nice moments overall. It definitely got away with a, uh, um, a uh, Jesus, a, a goal 10. Like it was a definite goal 10, but, you know, we'll take the block. Um, offensively, still a lot that, you know, the same stuff. Like he's just kind of looked out of place. But I think part of that was it, there was a lot of that from guys in general tonight, it felt like. Um but overall, I am just kind of like, you know, Goga being the not just the third big. Like, I mean, if he's playing behind Isaiah Jackson, too, um, was behind in minutes and, and just, you know, in the rotation overall, um, it's a little bit uh, not great is, is is kind of where I'm at with it. I know that's that's not great nuance there, but it's uh, it, it felt a little funky. I mean, I think it's a little bit. What are we doing here? Like, yeah. and I'm not saying that I disagree with the rotation decision. I mean, they've seen him at camp. If Isaiah's doing stuff yeah. that warrants playing him, then well and good. But it's like, you've either drafted or signed all these guys. Like, you know, what what's what's the end game here with some of it? But yeah, it's just from day one. What are we doing here, right? I mean, we all said you drafted the night you drafted. It was like the it was obvious. Oh, Turner Sabonis is going to be dealt. Nope, not dealt. So now there's no time for Goga to play and develop. And now we're here and, <laughs> and he is what he is. And, and we got this rookie coming in who might keep him buried. And, you know, what are you doing? It's almost like free Goga just with a trade for his yeah. sake, you know, um, and get whatever you can get at this point. Obviously, you're, you're, you're at, at that point where you're ready to cut bait. Um, if, if he's not going to be in the rotation. So, um, but yeah, it, it's kind of like the summer experience. We're never really going to get to see it. Yeah. Um, it's extremely disappointing, I think is the best way to put it. Like, I, I just, it, you know, a lot of people tend to hype it, not hype it, uh, inflate it to, to the same thing as TJ Leaf. And I just don't agree. Like, I think 
Um, you know, Goga is not a perfect player by any means, but I think he's shown quite a bit more than, than TJ ever did in his career, not to be rude, but um, yeah, I agree. I think it's just kind of hit it, hitting that stage now. Um, transitioning to something a little bit more positive, though, uh, let's talk about what did, you, what did you guys think of Chris Duarte tonight? Um, I found him, like, especially offensively, like you mentioned earlier, Caitlin, with him getting a shot off and uh, really coming out slaying. Uh, I liked some of the reads he was making on a pick and roll, too. Like, um, even though he was out, uh, out of the bench with TJ McConnell, um, I obviously don't have the possessions right in front of me, but it felt like he was running more of the offense than TJ McConnell was in the half court. Um, and that seemed like something they really wanted to see repped out. Where were you at with that, um, with how it looked tonight? I mean, that's kind of questionable. Like, yeah, no, I if, definitely If McConnell's going to be playing more off ball than Duarte, it kind of brings into question <laughs> some roster decisions there. But, I mean, the first start of the third quarter was pretty rough, like, all the way yeah. around. I mean, it took until, like, what? <sighs> I think until, like, the 626 mark until somebody scored a field goal with yeah. that with that yeah. unit. It was inside like, of seven, yeah. And then there was a back-to-back spurt where I think that Duarte came down and struggled to make a play and had a turnover. And then on the very next possession, Ijax had a charge right into somebody. And I was like, oh, here's the – you know, rookie mistake portion of the game. But um, yeah, I think, I think he probably could have been a little uh, more reserved in some of his shot selection, but you know, Mm. it's preseason. So you take it, but it it was a little bit reminiscent at times of Aaron holiday when he was in summer league and had like some of those like 25 Mm. shot games, because he was just like going to get off every shot that he could. So I'd like to see a little bit better balance there between looking for his own offense and playing within it. But I mean, I think some of it too, is what I hinted at earlier that, you know, a lot of even the Iverson variations and stuff they were running in summer league didn't show up tonight. And I think that's in part because they just didn't have a lot of ball handlers out there. Like when you don't have Levert and they obviously didn't play Kiefer Sykes till later in the game, like they just didn't have a lot of initiators. So um, I still want to see more obviously. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not down on Duarte from where I was at summer league. He had good anticipation moments on defense again, I thought, and a couple different portions, but mm. um, I, I think, yeah, this, the shot selection could be a little bit more subdued, but. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought he looked comfortable out there though. Um, which is, you know, he, he's, he's, he's going to fit in there. I feel like, and, and again, learn his spots a little bit more. He was, he was definitely, ready to get the ball up though my goodness uh, speaking of holiday you know he made his first two threes for the wizards tonight of course um i'm not sure how often he made his first two threes with the pacers it wasn't very often but naturally his first time out with the Wizards, you're gonna see that so um but uh that's right we're doing positive stuff here sorry about <laughs> i mean we can do we can do negatives i'm fine with that <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah um I saw that and kind of laughed I don't know. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to conflate everything again. I've said conflate twice, but uh, like part of it is like, you want to be a little bit cautious because like, yeah, it's preseason. But like, again, I agree, Caitlin, like if, if Chris Duarte is running the offense with the second unit and, and TJ McConnell's just spotting up in the corners, which props to TJ McConnell, the shot looks cleaner, like the hitches and as defined. <laughs> um, I still don't know that we need TJ McConnell taking three threes in yeah. a game. Uh, but you know, that's, you know, we'll see how that progresses. But um, what did you, did you have anything else, Caitlin, that you wanted to take away from this game? I asked Tom, I forgot to get to you right away after that. But 
Only that I was a little bit surprised by some of the matchups too, that, mm-hmm. that, you know, under Nate McMillan, they didn't do a lot of cross matching. That was kind of a, a holdover that they regularly didn't do that. And then Nate Bjorkren did more of it in addition to all of the changing of defenses. And then tonight Brogdon started back out against Kemba and he was getting kind of torched in some of those pick and roll possessions. So I was a little bit surprised that they went back to him being the point of attack defender when last year they kind of would switch that up and let Justin do some of the the chasing in those scenarios. But um, again, I need to watch it back to, to fully understand like what they're trying to do schematically defensively, because, you know, a lot of different lineups and obviously they were doing a fair amount of zone in the second half. So kind of want to see it back, but I was a little bit surprised that they didn't cross match in that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and it also too, I mean, yeah, they started to throw in some wrinkles and, do some more high tagging. Uh, and it was, it was, yeah, I definitely want to go back and watch more. Um, Tom, did you have anything else that you wanted to hit on from this? Uh, no, just, you know, I think Carlisle's going to earn his money, getting this going in the, in the direction he wants to go. Um, and, you know, I, I think that this whole season right now, to me, it, it just comes down to this Turner and Sabonis one last stand. Is it going to work or is it not? And when do you pull the plug if it's not? And um, obviously, um, uh, need to see a couple months of, of regular actual basketball and, and see what wrinkles they have. Because that was one thing Carlisle mentioned that you know they have some ideas for how to uh, try and zag with this team uh, against the regular NBA approach, but. Um, Tonight was just uh, a little too vanilla for those guys to to show any signs of uh, things working out. So hopefully we'll we'll see some improvement as the preseason rolls on. Yeah. um, And we're not finished with the pod because that's where we can transition now. Um, Believe it or not, Ben Simmons is being rumored in in potential talks uh, with with the Pacers again. Um, Or not Ben. Ben Simmons is not talking to Pacers. I mean, in terms of like – Deals, potential deals between Philadelphia um, and the Pacers. I believe this one was from Ian Bagley over at SNY. Uh, and it mentioned Karis LeVert had been offered for for, for Ben Simmons and, and surrounding packages. Um, Caitlin, I know you have you have never talked about Ben Simmons uh, trades in your life, not even on, on rival pods in, <laughs> in New York. Uh, I mean, we, we, we've hit on Ben quite a bit. Uh, in this, we did a deeper dive breakdown as well, and you've done some great stuff on on the film thread on Twitter. But I I think that it's it's an important jumping off point. I guess I'll start with you, uh, Caitlin. Where are you at with with hearing this yet again? Uh, because I think where I kind of come from at it, I, I don't mean to just go to you and give my own point, but like uh, I think it, I mean it's pretty clear that the the front office has reached out, it, given how many different sourced, well sourced people have come out and mentioned that the Pacers have poked around and been interested, like. Um, where are you at with this or, or how does this kind of come off to you? Yeah. I mean, in part, I think I need to see a little bit more of what Rip Carlisle's plan for the offense without Ben Simmons is so I can have a better feel for that. But um, in general, like I'm kind of in a place where I found peace by just like not caring about these rumors until <laughs> trades actually happen. Like, because what, I don't really know what difference it makes, whether I know that they're having the talks or not. Cause I've already done quite a bit of research on Ben Simmons But um, my first thought is if you're going to trade for Ben Simmons is that 
I'm assuming that the Sixers would want Malcolm Brogdon and possibly TJ Warren as well. And I feel like those two pieces are pretty critical to making Ben Simmons work here with the Pacers. That's point number one. Point number two is I don't see how that's going to work with two centers and Ben Simmons. I don't really need to see a reincarnated version of Al Horford and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons 2.0 with Turner and Sabonis. So feels like a third team would have to be getting involved if that's something that they're seriously considering. But um, just to push back on like the two main things that they talked about with Ben that really like annoy me is like that Ben, if he gets moved to a new location is automatically going to be Giannis, a two-time MVP and NBA finals champion, NBA champion, which I, I just, I'm having trouble seeing that because even if Ben adopts Giannis's mentality and is more active going to the basket and drawing contact, he will be a better version of Ben Simmons for sure. I don't think that he has, you know, he obviously doesn't have Giannis's length and he doesn't have Giannis's touch and he doesn't have Giannis's footwork. So I don't think he's automatically going to be Giannis. And two is everybody keeps saying, well, if you put Ben with shooters, you know, that that's what will unlock him. Well, he played with shooters in Philadelphia. Like Danny Green was one of the leaders in corner three-point shooters. Seth Curry was up at the top of three-point percentage. Joel Embiid shot 37% from three and in total only made 11 fewer threes than Miles Turner last year with an identical contest rate and the same amount of his shots coming off of drives. So I'm not really, that's not a very compelling argument for me to be like, oh, well, you can drop him here with, with shooters and it will automatically work. Like you can do guard to guard stuff with him like Rick was doing tonight, but you're not running a bunch of pick and pop with Ben Simmons. Everyone is going to duck under the stuff in the half court, you know, he has a lot of limitations in the half court in ways that like some of the stuff that people complain about with Sabonis is going to be more exaggerated even Mm -hmm. than Ben. Like you, you can do stuff with Sabonis because for one Sabonis isn't afraid to draw contact and get to the line, but he also can do stuff around the basket, has better touch around the basket, finished around the basket in the half court significantly better than Ben did last year. So you know, and also doesn't make $33 million a year. Now on the flip side of that, while I continue to go on my long monologue, I do think that there are ways that you could play Ben with Sabonis. And I know that that's contrary to what a lot of the internet thinks, but I think that contrary to what we said before about putting Sabonis in the corner, if you put Ben in the corner, he has such like breathtaking speed as a weak side cutter that I think that there's stuff you could do if you were running like side pick and rolls with Sabonis and Brogdon that could really unlock him. Some of the boomerang stuff that they ran with the Mavs and that the Pacers were running in summer league, I think would be effective with Ben. Like, you know, you can use Ben in the dunker spot and have Sabonis on the short roll and throw lobs to him there. Like, I think that there's various things that you could do. They're both such smart, heady passers. And if you're going to have to run snug pick and roll, which I think you're going to because people are going to duck under everything, you need a physical screener and you need somebody who's going to be able to flip those screens on under. So I can kind of understand the logic there. And if you need a four who's going to be able to defend and mask some of what Sabonis does defensively, I don't think you could probably invent a player who's better than Ben. But I mean, there's a lot of question marks there for me. I would need to know, you know, which big is getting traded and what are you getting in return for that person? And if you're getting rid of Malcolm Brogdon and his off ball shooting, like who's coming back? Because if it's just a straight like Ben, Malcolm Brogdon, TJ thing, I'm not sure. I think that makes a lot of sense for the Pacers. And also like, I'm not hundred percent convinced to borrow a phrase from Draymond Green. And this is going to sound very talk radio. If I believe in Ben as a 16 game player based on, some of the stuff that happened in the playoffs last year. And I know that shouldn't be conflated into an overall talking point of the player that he is, but 
there was a lot of questionable things that happened. So, you know, even if the Pacers think that they need to flip somebody for a different piece, like I think the question is, is he the right piece to do that with? So that's my overall thought process. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I mean, you you summed up everything I could say about what, what the on-court fit is like without me even being able to mention anything. Like, I, I think to me, it just comes down more in this is, you know, this year it's Ben Simmons. Last year it was Gordon Hayward. Um, like it's not, it's not as cut and dry and, and simple as saying, you know, every time that there's trade talks, it's, it, it, it's not like it looks bad or anything, but I just think I'm, you know, as Tom was starting to hit on at the end there, uh, after we were talking about the clunkiness of the offense, I'm just at the stage where this team, I like, of course you're going to, to, to poke around if, if an all NBA player is available, like I would be annoyed with the front office as an analyst, if they didn't at least inquire to see if there's a way to acquire an, an all NBA talent. But at the same time, I'm just kind of frustrated with the messaging of the team overall and them not having a direction. So, I mean, we've hit on this before, but like, I just think at some point you have to pick, pick a direction. And it, it feels very clear that they're just not sold on the idea of playing with two bigs in the starting lineup. And I'm kind of just ready to see it get moved on from, for the sake of both guys, frankly. Um, and so the team can actually pick a direction to go in because it's just kind of, I, I don't really understand entirely what they're doing here. Um, Tom, I didn't mean to like completely take your words and, and make them my own, but like, are, are you kind of feeling the same way there or where are you at with it? I was eloquently saying that uh, um. There's not much, yeah, obviously going to add to what Caitlin broke down there, which was, was spot on. And, you know, the idea that they would even consider a deal with Simmons and not, I don't care how many teams you got to get involved, one of Turner's bonus has to go. And, and I I do kind of like the idea, if if they bring in Simmons and that type of player, um, having him with some bonus would probably be preferable, I guess. Um, it was interesting that LaVert's name has come up recently um if there's more mixing and matching like say that would keep bribing here as well to be fine but obviously the salary is crazy all these components are not a perfect situation all the way around um but uh you would be taking a drastic change in direction by breaking up you know the two bigs and and doing this uh so It'd be great to know if that, if that was the case, what what that plan is. Like you say, I mean, there's um, you're gonna have to know that you have some idea, and also you're gonna have to have some pretty strong, you know, discussions with, with Simmons and um, his representatives uh, to make sure he's gonna want to finish that career without you know blowing up and being a pain in the ass um, after a year or so um, with all that money tied up I mean, yeah, and then turning into another, you know, obvious Paul George, Victor Oladipo situation um, at the snap of a finger. So that, that was, that's the, probably the main concern I would have with, with dealing for him with that big of a number um, and not knowing, you know, that you're going to possibly get the value out of him, even if he is happy here in Indy. Um, you know, there, there's still a level of play he would have to reach to, to make that um, – you know, a bonafide move that pushes them to another level. So it is a kind of an odd situation, but it, it, I mean, just being involved in that, like I said, 
looking looking at these guys who come available, who is the best way to get a guy here to Indy who's already signed, um, makes you feel like you know they're not 100 percent committed to what they have right now, and so um, they're constantly looking to to uh, move on from it. So, right, those I- bombs are, are probably in our future. <laughs> Right. I mean, it, it, it just feels like the timing of all of it is less than ideal. Yeah. Like, and I do agree with Tom. Like, I think that from Ben Simmons's camp and a lot of the stuff that's emanating out of there, like, I know that they're, you know, kind of purposely trying to be prickly because they obviously want him out of Philadelphia and want him to be moved. But there also just has to be some accountability for his own improvement. And I'm not trying to discount. There's there's things that he does at a very high level and that he's very good at. Obviously, his ability, his playmaking, his ability to push the ball in transition, you know, his defense, that's all well and good. But there has to be improvement in some of the areas, other areas, including, you know, what mentality he approaches the game with. But uh the timing, though, what I was saying at the beginning just isn't great because it's like if you were going to move one of these two bigs, you would have ideally done it around the draft or, you know, early in the summer so that you could be planning for, you know, whatever reality of who gets moved here and what how those pieces are going to fit together. Like they're a media day talking about togetherness and like what Mark referenced, like hanging the pictures and Rick Carlisle's office of each player from the team, like showing amount of togetherness from you know last season or whatever it was and it's like you know for the past week and a half and I'm not saying that they can control rumors like you're not going to come out as the front office and every day be like no we're not involved in that but the fact that it is leaking like as much as people want to be professionals there is a human element to this and you have to imagine that this is somewhat distracting from the process of preparing for the season and I get that you're going to be involved, like, you know, what you said, if an all NBA player is available, you're going to inquire and do stuff. But it just it's it's unfortunate that this couldn't have happened in June rather than, yeah. you know, a week into training camp. Yeah, 100 percent. And especially because Ben was available just about in June. Like, I just it's it's a little frustrating that it's happening this way. And I, I don't know. I'm just ready to. <laughs> I, I'm very ready for it to be uh, about basketball, and we'll, we'll get to see more on that. But um, unless you guys have anything to add, I think that's a good place to leave off until next time. We have – shoot, I think the next game is on Friday night. Um, if I – let me check my calendar. Yes, it is on Friday. Yeah, so we've got some Cleveland. Time until then. Yeah, against Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland is like the only team in the preseason who has seemed to have it have, have gotten hit even worse than the, than the Pacers. They were down 40 oh, yeah. at one point. To the Bulls tonight, so that should be uh, that should be interesting. Uh, Caitlin, Tom, this was great. I appreciate you guys always making and taking the time, and I'm I'm stoked for a uh, an eventful season. Hopefully, not overly eventful, but you know, good eventful uh, of doing the pod together. To everyone listening, thank you for listening. Of course, go read us over any corners. We have a lot of great stuff coming out and cooking with the season getting underway. And most importantly, have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.